been a joy to be with you all weekend, and uh, Brian has encapsulated that well. I, I came a stranger, and uh, I walk away a brother, but hopefully also a friend. And it, it has been a joy to be with you this weekend, uh, with your men. Ladies, we stepped on their toes a little bit, so hopefully they'll come home a little changed. And that's our prayer whenever we open uh, God's Word. But I want to thank especially uh, Pastor Gary and Pastor Brian and the rest of the staff here and as well of you for such a warm welcome. It has literally been my pleasure to be with you uh, these, this weekend, and uh, I'm excited we can open God's Word one more time together before I have to fly back to the battleground that is North Carolina. And I'm going back to a unique situation because there's heartbroken people and there are elated people. And uh, that is right where I live. So we will see what we face on the plane. But uh, we are excited to be with you one final time. If you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. Your pastor slipped up in the car and said, I had till 11.10. So I'm excited about that. But uh, no, I will not do that to you this morning. I don't know if I have that much to say. So uh, we will not do that today. We will get you out here on time. But Luke chapter 5. It's a phenomenal story in the life of Christ. Whenever I'm asked to speak as a guest speaker, I often turn to stories from the life of Christ because uh, he is our model, he is our hero, uh, he is the one we learn from. And this is a powerful story uh, from his life. It's maybe one that you're familiar with, but I want to take us into a little bit of a deeper dive and, and see what's really taking place in this passage. And I hope this passage will come alive to you as you see what Jesus does for this man. Luke chapter 5, we're going to be focusing on verses 12 through 14, but before I dive into the text here in a moment, I want to ask you a question. Do you see people the way that Jesus sees people? Do you see others around you the way that Jesus sees people? I'll confess to you this morning, I do not. I get on a highway and somebody is crawling <laughs> in that left lane. What is wrong with you, okay? Get over, okay? Or somebody just annoys you. You ever get to that place? Sometimes you're just like, you know, people just frustrate me. Just annoy me sometimes. I see people pointing at each other. Hold on, okay? <laughs> wow, I think I walked into a landmine here. No. Talking outside the church. No, I'm just Do we see people the way Christ sees us? To be honest, when you see the world around us, and and I, I'm joking with you, but honestly, when you turn on the news or you see some of the things that are happening in the schools and so forth, I'll be honest, sometimes I get angry at people. What in the world are we doing? How can you teach that to a six-year-old, a seven-year-old? What are we dealing with with pronouns with first and second graders? And I get angry with people. And if you live in this world, sometimes you can find yourself getting frustrated and angry and honestly, people start to bother us. 
maybe start to annoy us. And we're going to see from a story today a gentleman who was repulsive in that culture. One who was rejected. One who people scoffed at and were angry with and get away from us. And Jesus responds very differently. Shocking in that culture and shocking to his apostles. But we're going to learn from him how we should see people in the world around us. Luke chapter 5. I'm going to dive right into the passage because there's a lot of ground I want to cover here. And it's a short little passage, but there's a lot here. It says in verse 12, he, Jesus, while he was in one of the cities, behold, there was a man, and this is interesting because this is Dr. Luke writing this. In Mark and in Matthew, you have the same uh, parallel passage, but Dr. Luke is going to uncover some things for us. He's a medical doctor. He said, there was a man covered with leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. I'm going to stop right there for a second. Oftentimes, we, and I'm sure in your devotional life, you've read this passage, and okay, you're reading along, and oh, there's a leper that comes to Jesus. Great, okay, he's coming to get healed, and we just keep on moving. Hold on, time out. Let's stop for a second. There's a lot happening in that one little phrase, a man full of leprosy came to Jesus. Let me put us back in his sandals for a second. And I think it's going to change your outlook on who he really was. And if you're taking notes this morning, number one, Jesus saw the man's condition. As we talk about, do we see people like Jesus does? Number one, Jesus saw the man's condition. Interesting, he's called a leper. And if you have, in your Bibles, and if you've done extensive study, back in Leviticus chapter 13 and 14, it talks about leprosy and when leprosy would come into the camp and how to deal with this and the types of leprosy and so forth. When we think of leprosy, we think oftentimes in our culture of one type of leprosy. Actually, in biblical times, it covered all kinds of skin ailments, from boils to hives to different things. That was kind of the blanket term. That's why Dr. Luke here says he was covered with leprosy. It was literally full-blown, full-out, what you and I think of, full-fledged leprosy. So let's talk about this. There were physical consequences to this disease. We don't know a lot about leprosy other than what we see in movies or you, you've read about historically where it was bigger because we now have medicines that can counteract this. We don't understand fully the death sentence that was leprosy. If you contracted leprosy, it was over. There's, there's no medicines. There's no fixing this. This is a death sentence, number one. Number two, it is going to be an extremely, unbelievably painful death sentence. This disease, and I have younger people in here, so, and you are coming up on lunch eventually, so I will skip the gory, gory details, but I'll, I'll hit kind of the high points for you. It would attack, and it would attack deep tissues, muscle tissues, and the pain was excruciating. It would actually get into your joints. And if you've seen historically or movies will joke about it at times, it is true. It would get into the joints and your fingers and your toes would fall off. 
and your nose would fall off. Can you even fathom the pain of that? This man has leprosy and it's attacking him in his core. He hurts everywhere. His muscles are just excruciating pain, attacking joints to the point where your fingers and toes are falling off your body. One commentator says they walked around like walking corpses. Bandaged up, horrific pain. A lot of them would just shrivel into onto themselves because they were in so much horrific pain. The physical consequences. But there's some more consequences. There are social consequences. As you've read in scripture and so forth, you know what happens. When a person gets leprosy, what's the first thing that has to happen? They have to get yanked out of society. Why? Because this is a death sentence. There's no cure for this. Everybody and his brother is scared to death of this disease. So the first thing that you've got to do is yank them out of society. Get them out. Now I want us, literally, I would like for us to put ourselves in the sandals of this man this morning. Physically, you are in horrific pain, beyond what you can even imagine. Then as soon as you received this death sentence, they said, you can no longer see your wife or kids. Out. Ladies, you can no longer see your husband. You can no longer hug or kiss your children. You can no longer put them to bed. Gentlemen, you can no longer hold your wife. You can no longer comfort your children. You can no longer go to work. You can no longer socially interact with anyone else. You are done. You are pulled out of society. And you are cast into a leper camp, and that's where you will spend the rest of your life. With others in this horrific state. And the pain and the suffering. And that's where you're living now. Then on top of it, anytime somebody gets within 50 paces of you, and if they're downwind, 150 paces from you. So anytime somebody's within 50 paces of you, you must yell out at the top of your lungs, unclean, 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 I'm nasty, I'm gross, stay away from me, you don't want this. In our culture, we emphasize self-care and self-love. There's a place for that. Can you even fathom this? Anybody is even close to you, get away from me. I'm nasty. I'm gross. I'm horrific. I'm unclean. Stay away. I can't even fathom that. But it gets worse. You're saying, I don't, <laughs> I don't know how it gets worse than this. There's spiritual consequences. The Hebrew word for leper is the Hebrew word to strike. And it was literally viewed in that culture as a stroke from God. In other words, God hates you so much that he struck you with this horrific disease. Can you even fathom what that feels like? 
The horror of the pain you're feeling, the social pain of not being with your family and having to yell out that you're gross and disgusting and nasty and stay away from me. And then on top of all that, you go to bed every night and put your head down knowing God hates me. And hates me so much, he gave me this horrible disease. Jesus saw the man's condition. You and I read this and we read, a leper came to Jesus. Hold on. There's a whole lot of backstory to that little phrase. This man is in incredible pain. Physically, socially, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. And he's desperate. So in our passage, he knows the great physician is in town. This is early in Jesus' ministry, but fame is beginning to spread, and his name is beginning to be spread around. And he knows there might be somebody who can alter this. And so in this passage, as it says, and we continue to read, while he, Jesus, was in one of the cities, behold, this man covered in leprosy, all these consequences, all these issues he's dealing with. It says he comes, and notice this, he saw Jesus, and he runs up and falls on his face. Now, stop right there. What's he supposed to do? You can answer. What's he supposed to do? Unclean, get away. This is, I can't even imagine the apostles' reaction to this. Are you kidding me? This man with leprosy is coming, runs up to Jesus. What in the world? Get away. Not the teacher. Not the Messiah. You're going to give him leprosy. Everybody around is in shock. Get away. Number one, Jesus saw the man's condition. Number two, Jesus compassionately addressed the man's condition. The man comes up and prostrates himself before Jesus, falls on his knees in front of Christ. He has forsaken all Hebrew laws. His actions are offensive and punishable. He can be killed for this. He is running up to the rabbi, the teacher, the one day Messiah, and running to him with this horrific disease. Get away. But he's risking everything. And he says to him, if you are just willing, he knows Jesus has the power to do something here. He doesn't know fully what, what this could look like and all the ramifications, but he knows this is the miracle man. He knows this is the one who has power. And it's an interesting next sentence that he says. He says, if you are willing, if you would just please show mercy on me, he says, you can make me healed. No, it's not what he says. He does not say you can heal me. He says you can Cleanse me. You can clean me. You can take all of it away. Physically, emotionally, spiritually. You can alter it all. 
That's the one that we celebrated in the Lord's Supper. He has the power to change you, to cleanse you, to alter you, to radically change everything in your life. And if you know Jesus Christ, you know what I'm talking about today. And this man's saying, if you are just willing, you can cleanse, you can spiritually alter, you can physically alter, you can socially, you can cleanse it all. You can restore my relationship with God. He'll no longer hate me. You can do all of this if you're just willing. In Matthew and Mark, there's another word that when Jesus responds, and it says, Jesus had compassion. He saw this man where he was. He saw the cry of his heart to him that you can cleanse and alter and change me. And Jesus says and shows compassion. And then number three, Jesus completely cleansed the man's condition. He says, you can clean me in verse 13. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I am willing be cleansed. And immediately, this isn't over time. This isn't taking a while. Immediately, everything comes back to order. And the leprosy left him. And he says to him, go and show yourselves to the priests and offer for your cleansing, just as Moses commanded as a testimony. In other words, you are fully altered, and you can prove that to them now. But there's something amazing that happens in this passage. This man falls down on his face. He begs to be cleansed. And one commentator says this, and I I love this, so I'm going to read this quote to you. Jesus' response is truly amazing. The response of Jesus, notice this, is no less scandalous than the leper's audacity. What he does is audacious in that culture, unfathomable in that culture. In the face of such an intrusion, one would expect an observant Jew to recoil in protection and defense. Get away from me! Jesus' compassion replaces contempt. Rather than turning from the leper, Jesus turns to him. There's an interesting phrase here, and our English doesn't capture the thrust of this. So I'm going to show you by a physical illustration. I prepped him ahead of time. Brian, will you come to the stage, my brother? Okay. Now, I'm going to apologize to you, because this is going to get a little weird, okay? But bear with me. I, I, I asked him. Hey, I, didn't, I know I didn't. We're both secure in our manhood, all right? So this is going to happen, all right? But interestingly here, the Greek word in what you see here in the passage is what you're envisioning is this man comes and falls on his face to Jesus, and it says Jesus stretched out his hands. You want me to? Now nah, you're good, Okay. <laughs> Get in out of We envision our minds Jesus went like this, touched him and walked away. Or maybe Jesus did this. Now I'm, I, I get choked up every time I say this. I'm going to try to get through this. 
Jesus has done miracles where he just speaks. In Colossians, it says he created the word, the world with his words, his mouth. Lazarus, he yells out into the tomb, Lazarus, come forth. And he has to say Lazarus, why? The whole graves would have emptied. (laughs) He's done miracles with his mouth. Notice this. This is amazing. And this is what chokes me up. He doesn't do this. The force of the Greek word is literally that he embraces him. So here's this man in this horrific, detestable state. And Jesus, I'm coming in hot, okay? And Jesus comes up to him and goes like this. You feel good. (laughs) This man has an experienced touch. In years and years and years, and maybe decades. And the God of this universe embraces him. Doesn't speak to him. Hugs him. Embraces him. You gotta see my brother. Give him a round of applause. Where are you? He's a good hugger, by the way. (laughs) Can you imagine that? Can you fathom that? Folks, that's how Jesus sees people. Everybody else is disgusted, everybody else is angry. Get away. Everybody else is repulsed with this man. God hates you. Why would I like you? And instead of speaking, the God of this universe embraces him. And he shows compassion, it says. And he says, you are precious to me. You are precious in my sight. I love you. Why don't you do a little exercise with me? I've got about 10 minutes, so I have time for this. If you can bow your heads and close your eyes, this isn't an altar call, don't worry about that. But bow your heads and close your eyes for a second. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to ask you two questions. And every time I've ever asked this, I get the same result. And I want to see if this is the same here, because it speaks to our hearts. How many of you here know, know in head knowledge and through the word, how many of you know that God loves you? Raise your hand. All right, put your hands down. Here's the hard one. How many of you feel like God really likes you? Raise your hand. You can put your hands down. You can look at me now. Nearly every single time I've done this, the same result. And that first one, does, do you know God loves you? Our hands go up. There are times it's like, God, do you, do you like me? I'm going through so much. Do you even care? 
about me? Do you see me? Have you forgotten about me? Folks, God loves you. And I'm going to blow your mind. He really, really, really likes you. To the point where he wants to spend eternity with you. I can't stand being in the same room with my brothers for more than a few hours. He wants to hang out with you. I'm just teasing. I love my brother. He wants to hang out with you for all eternity. And to the point where he says he goes and prepares a place just for you. So he can spend eternity with you. The God of this universe loves you. And he likes you. He says, you are mine. You are precious to me. I care about everything you're facing. I know the hairs on your head. That's easy for some of us, okay? (laughs) I don't worry about the hairs up here. I am blown away he knows how many hairs fall out every day, okay? He's keeping track. It's unbelievable. He knows you better than you know you. And here's the point. Even with all your faults, all your warts, all your issues, he loves you. And he knows after he redeemed you, you would still sin against him. And he still loves you. And says, if you just confess your sins, I'm faithful and just to forgive you. If you've been cleansed by Jesus, you need to be amazed every day by the love he has for you. Every time, and I thank the pianist for playing this song today, every time I hear there is a fountain, I begin to weep. There's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. When was the last time you were blown away by your salvation? The fact that the God of this universe who holds it all in the palm of his hands cares so much about you and you specifically that if you were the only person here, he would still die on behalf of you to take away your sins. And we read the passage, while we were still sinners, we bring nothing good to the table. And in his mercy and grace, he broke his body and shed his blood so we could have a relationship with him. That's how much he loves you. When was the last time you were blown away by the Savior's love? But there's a second application here. Do we see people that way? At times, people repulse us. They anger us. They frustrate us. Maybe your neighbor does. Maybe your coworker does. Do you see them as a lost person on their way to hell? Because that's what they are if they don't know Jesus Christ. The most famous passage in all scripture 
I think a lot of times we forget it. For God so loved the world. Yes, that annoying neighbor. Yes, that idiot that cuts you off in traffic. God died for them too. And they need to experience this love. Do we see people the way Jesus sees people? Do you see their hurt? Do you see their pain? Do you see their suffering? Do you see them lost and needing cleansing? Or do we turn away? If I can summarize all of this in one sentence. And commentators and in homiletics books and whatever, they call this either the proposition or the big idea, but it's, if I can summarize this whole message in one sentence, it's this. We need to see others in their desperate state and lead them to the great physician. We need to see others in their desperate state and lead them to the great physician. He can heal them. He can change them. And he loves them. And I'm going to ask you this. Aren't you glad someone told you so you could experience this incredible love? We do need to proclaim his death till he comes. The world needs to hear this. It needs to come from our lips and our mouths. We need to see people in their desperate state and lead them to the great physician. Let's pray. Lord, we are amazed. Truly amazed. And as the songwriter wrote, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me. We are amazed by your love. We can't even fathom your grace and mercy in our lives. We were where this man was, lost, hopeless, desperate, and you reached out in incredible love, embraced us, and said, you are mine. You are precious in my sight. I love you. And that leaves us amazed. But Lord, you've also called us to be a messenger for you. You call us in 1 Corinthians an ambassador for you. Forgive us. Forgive us when we don't see the lost 
the way you see the lost. Forgive us when we get frustrated and angry and Lord, help us, to, that help us to see them the way that you do. Lost and in desperate need of your saving grace. And help us to be messengers of yours. Help us to carry the message on our mouth and point them to you, the great physician, who can heal and change and alter So Lord, we are enamored by your love and we're convicted that we should be messengers for you. So use us today as we serve you. In Jesus' name I pray.